Listen to Matchups podcast. We are your hosts, Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg, and we are back for another battle in our Pick Your All-Time Favorite Movie Bracket Challenge. If you guys are just tuning in with us, the premise of this podcast is we have gotten suggestions of our friends, family, viewers, favorite movies of all time. We have taken all of those. We have ranked them according to their Rotten Tomatoes Critics Consensus Score, put them in a March Madness style bracket, and each week we go through a matchup until one movie moves on to the next round. And we are in the home stretch. We have this matchup today, and then we have another matchup next week, and then we are done with our first round picks, which is super, super exciting. So getting into today, we have a one verse eight seed matchup. So two opposite ends of the spectrum. First up, we have Giant, which is our first seed versus Burlesque, which is our eighth seed. Giant comes in at a 93% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, nominated for a whopping 10 Oscars, won one at one Best Director, also nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role for James Dean, who unfortunately died prior to the movie being released and prior to this Oscars award ceremony. Um, also nominated Best Actor in a Leading Role, Rock Hudson. Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Mercedes McCambridge. Best Adapted Screenplay. Best Art Direction and Set Decoration Color. Best Costume Design Color. Best Film Editing and Best Score. This is one of 53 movies ever that has scored 10 nominations or 10 or more nominations. One of the other ones that has was actually a movie that was in a previous matchup. Can you remember what movie it was that also had 10 Oscar nominations? Was it Dr. Zhivago? It was. Good job. Yes, it was. That was a, another one with 10 Oscar nominations. So whopping amount of Oscar nominations for Giant did win Best Director. And then we go over to Burlesque. Uh, not so many Oscar nominations with Burlesque. Burlesque comes in at a 36% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Was nominated for a few Golden Globes, though. Was nominated for two Best Original Songs and was nominated for Best Picture, Comedy, or Musical. Did not win. That makes sense. Yeah. And then, fun fact, Cher was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Actress, I think. She didn't win, which is good. Uh, This movie has a lot of problems and a lot of people who are very vocal about the problems. One of the biggest people being Cher herself, who gave a very candid interview about this movie, I think a little bit after it was released, and said that this movie, quote, terrible director, really terrible script. And then she also went on to say, if it was shorter, it would have had squeaked by and been a really good popcorn movie. So I guess she tried to give a lot of pointers to the director. The director wasn't having it. And basically just straight up told her this is a movie about singing and dancing and that's all we're going to do. She, I think, wanted a little bit more from the script. I don't blame her. We'll get into that in a little bit. But always interesting to see that the people involved in this movie directly, when they have something negative to say about it, it always strikes me as very interesting. So those are our two movies for this week. That is our matchup. What we will do is we will start out and talk about strengths and weaknesses. We will then go on to talk about little details in these movies that made a big difference. Then we'll talk about why this one would be someone's favorite movie of all time for each of them. We will reveal our winner and what moves on to the next round. We will close up shop. 
but we will go right into strengths and weaknesses and I will let Sean pick what movie he wants to start with and where he wants to go from there. So I want to start with Giant, but I just want to know why you didn't have any facts in there about how many cows were in the movie or anything like that. In Giant? Yeah. I don't think How much I oil that. was used, how much... <laughs> I don't know, but that is going into, I think, a big strength of this movie. The scale of everything. It's a large scale. And it's interesting talking about the amount of Oscar nominations and just saying like Dr. Zivago is the other movie in this bracket that we watched with all of the Oscar nominations. And what was one of our biggest strengths for that movie was the grand scale of this movie. Yeah. And that's my first big strength is just the beautiful Texas skies. Spoiler alert, that's my little detail that makes a big difference. But I want to add something to that strength just for context. So what Giant is about, for those of you tuning in, haven't heard of Giant. Um, It was made in, I believe, 1956, the older film. Um, And I would compare it a little bit to that of Boyhood if we're looking for something that maybe relates to it in terms of length. It's a very lengthy movie. It's about three and a half hours long. And you really see these two main characters, Bick and Leslie, who get married very early on in the movie. You really watch their entire life from them being newlyweds to them moving in together, figuring out the dynamics of Texas and some of the racism that is um, going on around there, some of the toxic masculinity that's happening um, and misogynistic viewpoints that are going on around there. So they have to kind of grapple through all of that. You see them have children. You see their children grow up and choose who their spouses are going to be. You see them have children. And it is a very lengthy film kind of throughout the course of people's lifetime. So that's why I compare it to Boyhood. It's very clearly not the exact same plot. But just this idea of like this lifespan drama. But Boyhood would have been nice if it had a little more oil in it, right? <laughs> exactly. Grease up Ethan Hawke a little bit. Um, but I think that going back to what you were saying about the scenery, what I was really impressed about this movie was the lack of green screen use. They really re- relied on the beautiful kind of open space of Texas and the blue skies, like you were mentioning, and just the beautiful backdrop. They used that green screen for the driving scenes because I think no one perfected it at that time in film. But even that, I think, was based off of the area they were in. It really was a beautiful movie to look at for being a movie that is set in such a desolate location, too. They are literally on a ranch in Texas surrounded by nothing. And for it to be as beautiful as it is, is really impressive. Even just the colors that they use in this movie, from the costumes to the scenery to everything they use. It's just colorful movie, too, which is awesome. I do have two more strengths that I want to get to. Um, And they're both kind of story-based. So the first one is that we get to see the rise and fall of Jet Rink, who is the villain, I guess, of the movie. The the sort of villain. He starts off very innocently by showing interest in Leslie. Leslie feels like she can share some feelings about 
the mistreatment or the neglect of some of the Hispanic workers on the ranch with him. And it starts out seeming like he's going to be an ally, but then he gets a lot of money because he discovers oil on this plot of land that's left to him. And then he really becomes a, a dick. And we, I think it's one of the things that this movie did very well in the three hours was that it gave us like jet rink. And like you said, we like him and all of a sudden he hits oil and he gets money and he changes and we get to see that. And it's a lot of character development. And then at the end, we even get to see him be a drunken fool. And I enjoy that. We get to see that long progression throughout the movie. And the other one is that bit grows as a person, even if it's, just being not racist. <laughs> it's the bare minimum. It is. That it's, was one of my qualms with this movie watching it. But then I was like, it's 1956. This is a very ahead of its time film. But it is this idea that Bick, like eventually the story is Bick, Leslie's husband, one of the main characters. He has children. His one son marries a Hispanic woman. They have Hispanic children and he then kind of stands up for th- them being mistreated. His Hispanic grandchildren. Exactly. Exactly. Not someone else's. Though. Exactly. Like it has to be a little closer to the chest for him to not be racist, which is absolutely the fucking bare minimum. So, um, but it, but it does tell what the movie I think biggest strength is, is what you're talking about here, which is the story arc of these characters and it's interesting you talking about Bick and Jet, two characters who we see change pretty drastically, quote unquote, throughout the movie. And then we have Leslie, who comes in with very strong viewpoints of who she is, how others should be treated, how she's not going to be treated, what she's going to stand up for. For the and, working class. Yeah. And she doesn't change much throughout the movie, but you need her as almost this anchor of what is supposed to be right. And that's what I liked about this movie a lot and one of my biggest strengths is that in some movies you get like a little eye drop of feminism there's a little hint of it and it just doesn't go anywhere this movie goes somewhere leslie's character has full conversations with these men who are putting her down about why can't i stand here and talk to you guys this is a man's conversation like very very strong vocalized viewpoints And I think it's amazing to see that in a movie that was made so long ago, but also just how fully developed that character is as a feminist and as a feminist who's going to fight for something, even though in that time, as a woman, she was told that she can't fight for these things. So I loved how dynamic her character was and how she was the anchor of all these people changing and formulating opinions around her, that through it all, she stayed consistent in I want to treat people well and people deserve to be treated well. Every person deserves to be treated well and to be heard and to be understood and to be given fair time in this world. And I think that for me, her character is the biggest strength of this movie and propels it forward, even if she's not changing a lot and everyone else is changing around her. I like that. I like that little rant you went on. That was good. So what are your weaknesses for this movie? That this movie was rated G for red face <laughs> because even though Bick as a character learned that Hispanic people should not experience racism, the actors were like, yeah, I don't really want to work with them, though. 
Yeah, it was a little it was a little touchy. I was shocked when I saw this movie it was rated G because I mean, a Disney movies barely get a G rating, but the as were the times, you know, I'm I'm still shocked to this day that Titanic is rated PG-13, but again, those were the times. My biggest weakness of this movie is just that it was so fucking long. It is so, so long. It is three and a half hours, heavy three and a half hours, because there's not a lot of action going on. Is this adapted from a book? This is, right? Yes, it's adapted from a novel from 1952. Yeah, that that checks out. (laughs) It is just full of substance. It is. I don't think that the three and a half hours is filled with nonsense. I think there could be some cuts made to it. I know people will argue with us. The person who suggested this movie will argue with us, but it just really, it's a really big commitment to watch a three and a half hour long movie. You don't realize it before you're doing it, but it's a really long commitment. And for me, that's one of the biggest downfalls because it was three and a half hours, but it wasn't full of like, Oh, this is absolutely needed in this this time frame. So it has to be three and a half hours. I think there could have been some leeway with the runtime. Um, and I already talked about my other weakness, which is I don't really like Bix Redemption story because again, he's doing the bare minimum. Um, but those are my weaknesses for this movie. He has one. He has a redemption, and I I guess again, we're just looking for the bare minimum here. So it is what it is. But let's flip on over to burlesque and talk to me about your strengths for burlesque. So Christina Aguilera is one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Yep. Really great singer. And here's the thing. This is a movie that revolves around Christina Aguilera. So for people who haven't seen burlesque, it is not a hard plot to imagine from the title of the movie. It is a small town girl from like Iowa or something like that who's a waitress She moves to the big city and she's looking for a job. She's looking to be a star. She stumbles on this burlesque club and basically she tries to work her way up into being the star of this club and they have to save this club from going under because Cher can't make make the payments on it anymore and Cher is like the head honcho and owns the burlesque club. Um, So they have to figure out a way to save the club. A very simple plot. Christina Aguilera is not the greatest actress I've ever seen in my life. She's not even close. But you know what? She can fucking sing. And if you are watching this movie because you want to see great acting, first of all, shame on you because you you shouldn't expect that of this movie based off of what you know about it. But Cher. <laughs> Cher's a, Cher is an Oscar winning actress. You are correct. But this is not a movie that is here for good storylines. It is here for musical numbers and dancing. So I think the director was right on that. Could it have been better? Yes. It could have been Chicago caliber. It could have been a lot of musicals made movie caliber. It just didn't turn out that way. I think this is an entertaining movie. And I think Christine Aguilera blows the lid off the place. I think she's fucking amazing as a vocalist. And the songs are amazing because she sings so well on them. Again, are they the best songs ever written? No. But she sings the hell out of them and she's great. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Another strength I have is the stage routines. And basically what this ends up being is with the stage routines and Christina Aguilera ends up kind of being a bunch of Christina Aguilera like performance videos. 
that are linked together by this story that includes Cher. They honestly could have just made this into a Lemonade-esque music video. Yes, something like that. It's kind of what And it would have worked fine. (laughs) It feels like it's almost there. It's almost there, but it has a person who decided to write a script and do really bad at it infiltrating that idea. One of my strengths of this movie is that I was a little bit surprised by this movie because I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It reminds me of one of those movies that I really, really liked when I was like 12. And you just get really into them because they are so simple. And I think that's a big strength of this movie is that it's pretty simple. There's not a lot of hard things to sit and digest in this movie. You can catch it at any time. I think this is the perfect network movie. This is something that MTV could show on a Sunday at 2 p.m. And you can be flipping through the channels at 2.30 and you can stop and watch it. And because the plot is so very not complicated, you can you can get up to speed pretty quickly in it. And so I think there's a lot of power in those types of movies. It doesn't mean that they're great, but it does mean that people enjoy watching them and that a lot of people could enjoy watching this. And so I think that it's not as bad as people make it out to be. One analogy I used when we were watching this was I called this the poor man Chicago and the rich man's coyote ugly. It has very strong vibes of both of those movies in very different ways. Chicago is amazing and wonderful, spectacular, well-written, well-acted. I mean, just fantastic. And it has those very strong solo performances in it, much as this movie does, those cutaway performances, much as this movie does. But Chicago has a great script and all of those things I just talked about. So it's the poor man, Chicago. And then you have Coyote Ugly, which has basically Leon Rimes as Christina Aguilera, who just wrote the entire soundtrack. And you have a movie plot that's a little stale, but kind of similar to burlesque of like, we got to save Coyote Ugly and I want to be a performer and I love the Coyote Ugly girls and all of that. And Coyote like Ugly's a bar though, right? Yeah. That's weird. They're like, I want to be a bartender and then, right? A performing bartender. She wants to be a singer. That's her big ambition in life. But Coyote, in Coyote Ugly or yeah. in this movie? No, in Coyote Ugly. So there's a lot of crossovers. That's what I'm saying is that I think this movie is a step up from Coyote Ugly, but Coyote Ugly is also one of those movies that it's not good. Some of the songs in it bang. Some of them are really good. And I watched the shit out of Coyote Ugly when I was like 10, 11, 12, whenever it came out. I fucking loved it because it's easy. It's entertaining. The songs are fun. The people are fun in it. And that's all you're looking for. And I think that's the biggest strength of burlesque. If you go in looking for that, you're going to be okay with this movie. Flipping it over to weaknesses, though. Talk to me about your weaknesses. So my weakness, we already touched on it. You touched on it when you were talking about strengths. And it's just that the story isn't strong. Um, But also it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It really doesn't. (laughs) Because it's singing and performing and... Christina performances. That's it. You decide in the first 10 minutes that it doesn't matter. You're like, oh, this is how they're going to interact. And this is the dialogue. 
all right, script doesn't matter. You throw it out the window very early. If you're sitting there and trying to invest yourself in the story, then you, you're, you lose at this movie. I have two weaknesses. I'll start with my weaker weakness first, which is that the male lead is a garbage person. So there's this love interest named Jack, who is a bartender at the burlesque club. And Christina Aguilera's character, Allie, meets him. And basically, long story short, they become roommates because she doesn't have a place to live anymore. And then they have feelings towards one another. But he has a fiance. And then they go to this wedding. He's like, I broke up with my fiance. So then they start banging and they start falling in love. And then his fiance comes home one day and is like, we didn't break up. And Christina Aguilar is like, what? And then he just shows up at the burlesque club the next day and is like, no, we're done. I care about you. And she and, falls and for And she's it. like, okay. And he's just kind of a piece of garbage. First of all, he's like charging her $600 a month to sleep on his fucking couch in his living room which is super steep i know they're in la no she gets the bed yeah well eventually she gets the bed but he started out sleeping on the couch but it's a weird living situation too because it's like why would you pay 600 to sleep on somebody's couch doesn't make any sense but he's also just very dismissive of her it seems and very cold and they also have no chemistry whatsoever so i think that doesn't help it at all but he's a very scummy male love interest for someone who is supposed to like help brighten her career. It just feels like a very mixed connection. He feels like he's baggage in the future for her career. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like that. I feel like he is going to cheat on her for sure, 100%. I'd, I'd place bets on that. Um, but my other weakness is something that really, really bothered me about this movie. So... When Christina Aguilera, Allie's character, gets to the burlesque club and she gets hired finally as a performer, one of her biggest issues is that none of the performers sing live. They sing to backing tracks and shares like, oh, this is just how we've always done it, blah, blah, blah. And then one day the villain, Kristen Bell's character, Nikki, um, pulls the backing tracks off of the sound whatever area and all the sound goes away. So Allie then has to sing live and then they all sing live and it saves the club, blah, 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 whatever. Why did none of these actresses, singers who have incredible voices, share Christina Aguilera, Kristen Bell? I think Julianne Huff is in it and is an okay singer. Some of the Pussycat Dolls are in it. Why did none of them sing live in this movie? So I guess the director had them sing while they were doing their takes, but then lowered their actual singing voices to up the backing tracks, which makes no fucking sense because we know Christina Aguilera can sing live. I don't know what Cher's capacity is anymore. I've seen Kristen Bell sing live. She does fine. I don't understand why for a movie that <laughs> builds off of this idea that to make money and be successful, you have to have your talent actually showcased, didn't actually showcase their talent when we know it's possible. Chicago did it. Moulin Rouge did it. Tons of movies have done it. And I know it's not super possible for some of those heavy dancing scenes, but people have done it. It's possible. And it made me really angry. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you have any other weaknesses? 
or was that it? Just the no, lack of, of live singing. No, that's it. And not let me correct it. It's not that I expect everyone to be singing live all the time. But you like a little bit. But I just think it is a extreme disservice to have this, two these of voices. the greatest iconic pop divas in the entire world in a movie and they don't sing live. It doesn't make any fucking sense. But no, that is all my weaknesses. So let's go over to little details that made a big difference then. Um, and talk to me about your little detail for burlesque. She runs away in less than five minutes into the movie. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Whatever you feel like, it's the little detail. The little detail is it's under five minutes in which she is out of her house and on her way to burlesque. <laughs> yeah, I guess it starts the movie out with the bang. Um, my little detail is uh, about Kristen Bell's character. So she is Nikki, who is the former like star of burlesque. Like people would come to see Nikki and she was so dynamic, this powerhouse on stage with her presence. And the thing about this character that I absolutely hated is that they gave her too many reasons to be a villain. It started out that she was a villain because she was jealous of other people's talent. Then she became an alcoholic. Then she was late and not on time and didn't care about the burlesque club enough. Then she was apparently one of the founders of this club with Cher and Cher didn't feel like she was pulling her weight anymore. And then she was like, oh, I slept with your husband the day after your honeymoon. Which, and that was a weird thing. Yeah, which didn't end up being true. But through that in there, then tried to like pull the sound away from Christina Aguilera, like all of these things. And it's like, I get it. She has this jealousy in her. But why do we have to like make sure we know that she is a bad person? It just seemed like all of these things that kept coming up were so abrupt and unnecessary that it's like, I, I get it. She's the antagonist of this film. Understand, along with a couple other people who are antagonists of this film. So you could use a little less Kristen Bell. I think that you can build a villain character off of I'm jealous of someone else being better than me and write a good enough script to support that and just leave it at that. She doesn't have to be an alcoholic, a homewrecker, a bad friend, a drunk driver. Like she doesn't have to be all of those things to be bad. I fucking get it. She is the antagonist in this situation. They really did pile on a little bit. Yeah. And it just wasn't realistic because it's like she literally can just be jealous and like, let's leave it at that. And she's a good enough character to have in this movie. So that was my little detail. That was a little bit uh, negative for burlesque going over to giant. I already talked about mine being some of the scenery and the lack of green screen. What is your little detail for giant? So my little detail for giant is just the note of when Bick decides that he is going to use violence. It is not when jet rink beats him up in front of his wife or when he beats up his son. Right. And then they go in the back room. He's like, uh, you're not enough of a man to hit, but it is in Sarge's diner when met with racism towards his grandson. And it makes me feel kind of a weird way because it's interesting that it's like he's protective of his grandson more than himself and even his son. But like, that guy physically assaulted you and your son and you're just not going to do anything about it. But like this guy's like, hey, don't come in here. And you're like, 
I'm going to kill you. It, w- it was just a little weird. Maybe he reached his breaking point. He did punch Jet once when Jet was trying to like hit on Leslie on the front porch that one time. When That's he was right. Hammered. And then Jet beat him up. Yeah. But no, I think maybe it is these like mounting frustrations or this turning point for this character of all of a sudden, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. Let me do something instead of just sit back and watch all of these bad things happen to other people. But going into why this would be someone's favorite movie of all time, we'll, we'll switch categories here. Coming off of that point, I think that for Giant, that's why this would be one of your favorite movies of all time is you like to see those things mounting through a movie. You like to see the increased frustrations over time, the dismantling of the patriarch, the dismantling of systemic racism, all of these things through time and watch characters develop through this. And I think you like to see a romance happen through time because this movie is a Western romance drama And we don't see a lot of kind of typical romance in it. But there is this admiration that I think grows between Leslie and Bick over time as they begin to get on the same page with things. And I think if this is your favorite movie, you really like to see that play out. And maybe you like that Texas oil money in the (laughs) in the the 50s. And maybe there's something about that that really... It's the simplest form of scandal and drama. Yeah, you know, with the top hats and the pocket watches, you like all that aesthetic as well. Why would burlesque be someone's favorite movie of all time? You love Christina, you love music, you love pageantry, and you love the idea of that regular girl reaching for the stars and grabbing what she wants. Oh, For sure. I had all of those things. But most of all, you just like to see the good team win. You like to see a group of people who are very clearly labeled as like the good guys coming out on top on the end. And also you just like something that is relatively simply entertaining. You don't want to watch something that is too complex. You just want to watch something that is simple. It's not too heavy feely and it's entertaining enough to watch whenever you can. So after talking about all of these points of strengths and weaknesses and why these would be someone's favorite movies of all time, we do have a winner and one that will move on to the next round. So if you are ready on a three, two, one countdown, we will reveal which movie that will be. Ready? Yes. Three, two, one. Giant. Giant. Giant moves on to the next round. We have had no upsets um, in our one versus eight seeds so far. So this is another non-upset. Really, really great movie. Very, very lengthy, but really a very interesting movie to watch is one of those like foundational movies that sets a tone that is way ahead of its time. Burlesque, also entertaining. Very basic, very entertaining. Don't hate it. There's been movies in this bracket that I've hated much more than this movie. So not a bad matchup. So that will close out this matchup. Our next matchup will be our final first round matchup. It will be Spirited Away, which is our first seed versus Armageddon, which is our eighth seed. And it is the last first round matchup that we will be doing. And that episode will air on Monday, June 28th. 
And I want to talk about what will be the matchups breakdown, what it will look like to follow. So we've decided that since we did a shorter bracket, this go around than we have in previous podcast seasons and in previous times we've done this, that we are going to just throw this all in in one shot. So next week on June 28th, we will have Spirit Away versus Armageddon. That will be our final first round matchup. And then the week following that, what we will do is Sean and I will sit here and we will live go through the bracket and we will pick which one will move on in the second round, the final four, the final two, and declare a champion in one single episode before we've split this into two. But we feel that looking at our bracket right now, there's a couple just absolutes that will move on some really non-heavy contest matchups. So we feel pretty confident that we can provide a really good thorough look at breaking down this bracket in one episode. And we're going to do that as we're doing that. We're going to do what we did last time and move the winners along on the challenge bracket. And at the end of that episode, we will reveal who the winner of our bracket challenge is. So super exciting. Um, go check yourself out on the leaderboard if you haven't already. But yeah, we are in the home stretch. So we will have our last one verse eight seed next week. And then we will have a breakdown of all of the movies and declare a winner in the week after that. If you want to follow along, you want to see what movies that we've talked about are ready, you can give us a follow on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at The Cinema Matchups. We love to hear from you guys. Appreciate all of the support and all of the follows. Like I said, check out your bracket on Challenge if you haven't to see where you are in the leaderboard. And that will do it for this week for our episode. We look forward to talking about our last one verse eight seed in Spirited Away and Armageddon next week. But until that time for this week, we are the Cinematchups and we are Kim Fuller and Sean Rodenberg. And we'll see you next time.